is worthy. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to John's Gospel, chapter number 12. John's Gospel, chapter number 12. Keep your Bibles handy this morning. As we did last week, we're going to, uh, to set a couple of different passages of Scripture, but unlike last week, I just want to focus on three particular scenes. And so, as, uh, as we've just sang about worshiping our Lord and Savior our God, I, I think there is nothing that can be more fitting and worthy of His worship than the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's stamp of approval on His acceptability of His sacrifice on the cross. Remember, all three paid our redemption price. Jesus Christ's blood that He shed on the cross, His burial, His putting away of our sin, and His resurrection. That that declaration of of His sonship and the acceptability of His sacrifice. And so as we head into that... I want to the next, for the next three weeks to put a focus on the resurrection, but I want to do so by looking at these women that surround Jesus in those final days. At the devotion of these women that are surrounding the Lord Jesus in these final days is something that I believe can teach us about our devotion that we should have for the Lord Jesus. And I want to focus in on three different Marys. We're going to look in the next three weeks on the three Marys of Easter. The Easter Marys. And the first Mary we're going to look at this week is the Mary of Bethany. The Mary of Bethany. Next week we'll look at Mary of Nazareth. That was the one that stood by Jesus on the cross. And then we'll look at Mary of Magdala. Mary Magdalene. In that last one, we'll save that one for Easter Sunday. But I believe all three of these Marys have something to teach us about our love and devotion for the Lord Jesus. And so that's what I want to look at this morning, Mary of Bethany. And I want to call this one the Mary of Preparation. As we approach Easter, as we approach a a time of significant celebration of Jesus' resurrection, I believe there needs to be some heart preparations made for that celebration. And I think we find that in Mary of Bethany. So I want to pick up our reading again. We'll look at several different passages, so keep your Bibles handy. But I want to look at Mary in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse number 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. (coughs) Excuse me. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with their hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her. Leave her alone. So that... She may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. You know, it's interesting to note how large a role women play in the passion story of the Lord Jesus. Those days leading up to and through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Women, at least Mary of Bethany here in our text, Uh, They were those that seemed to recognize what was about to take place just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. Women were there following Jesus through the trial, even standing before Jesus at the crucifixion. Women were there as they followed Jesus from from Golgotha's brow, uh, uh, from, uh, from His trial, down the Villa Della Rosa, down to Golgotha, and even to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. 
In fact, the women disciples of Jesus were truly the first evangelists of the gospel. They were the first to bring the good news of Jesus' resurrection to the apostles. Remember, they were the ones that found the tomb opened and empty. And the angels told them to tell the disciples that Jesus had been risen. They were the first evangelists with the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Now, there are three Marys, each of them named Mary, that play a key role in the Passion story. And so I want to trace the... Uh, the final days of the Lord Jesus leading up to His crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, His earthly ministry, and see how that each one of these Marys point us in devotion to the Lord Jesus. You know, some of my most fond and vivid memories of church growing up as a child were around Easter time of year. Matter of fact, Easter more than Christmas, is my favorite uh, celebration of the year, season of the year. I remember as a childhood that I may not have understood everything about the gospel and about what was taking place, but I knew once a year that there was something that took place in this church that had an, an, an enormous amount of, of emphasis and, and an air of anticipation, something exciting was happening. It had something to do with being at the church early on a particular Sunday morning. When I was at Straightway, Brother Jackie was there around that same time. It seemed like every year we had that, that sunrise service and it was one where we get, I remember getting up very early in the morning and making our way when, when only the glow of that, that that uh, uh, harbinger of the coming sunrise, that glow would only be there. You could barely see in the dark. And Easter was a day of also enormous preparation. Every Easter year, I used to get jealous of this until I realized I did not want my mother to make me a suit to wear. It would be a bad thing. But she used to make my sister an Easter dress every year. She'd go buy the pattern, she'd buy the material, and she would spend late into the evening sewing at the last minute my sister's Easter dress. We would also be up late that night before Easter dying Easter eggs. I remember the, the kitchen and all the house with the smell of vinegar every year. One of the distinct smells of Easter was vinegar because we would dye Easter eggs. My mother would also would also do preparation in the cooking area. She would cook early. So, so if the sunrise service was early, mom was up even earlier cooking and preparing for that dinner. You know, they'd have dinner on the grounds. I mean, it wouldn't be on the ground, but they would call it dinner on the grounds. I remember it straightway. Uh, those concrete tables that were way above my head, inordinately high. I don't know if they made them bigger back then, but they were just huge tables and all I could do was smell the food coming off of those dinner on the grounds uh, tables. And, and my mother would cook and so she would make dresses and she would dye eggs and she would, uh, she would cook meals all in preparation for Easter. And, and now, now my dad, my dad made preparation though. Don't, don't, don't count him out. He wore a tie. That, that was his preparation for Easter Sunday. He, he wore, well... Most of the time, he wore a tie. Let's put it that way. But he did his own preparation. He put on a tie. Amen. But, uh, uh, but, but in that scene, in that time, it was a great deal of preparation going on. And I believe when we look at Mary of Bethany, we see that same kind of, uh, of preparation being done. That Jesus is being prepared. His body is being prepared. We noticed that from the text that I read. This will be the last text that we'll look at today, but we understand that Jesus saw clearly that His body was being prepared for uh, the anointing, for His own burial. She was, uh, in her anointing, she, Mary, was looking ahead to what Jesus had already revealed what had happened. Jesus had already been telling His disciples that He was going to be crucified, He would be buried, and then He would be raised again. And I, I imagine that she maybe caught on more than so many of the others that Jesus is about to die. She's picking up on the reality that Jesus is about to give His life. All the men 
that surrounded the Lord Jesus seemed to be blinded to the fact of Jesus' coming death. But Mary of Bethany was keenly aware that Jesus was about to die. I want to take this character and look at Mary of Bethany and draw some devotional lessons for us as believers as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of the resurrection. As we, as we look forward to the Easter scenes and I say more importantly than making dresses, more importantly than dyeing eggs, more importantly than cooking meals or breakfasts, let us prepare our hearts for what we're going to celebrate. And I want to look at three scenes in Mary's life that, that seem to indicate that. First of all, I want you to see a scene of attentiveness. Go with me to Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 10. And look with me at verse number 38. Luke's Gospel 10 and verse number 38, we read there, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You know, in this first scene in the life of Jesus where where we're introduced uh, to this, uh, this group of this small family here in Bethany, Mary, Martha, and also we'll find out later there is a brother named Lazarus. We find in this that Jesus had friends, people that he had befriended in his ministry. I believe it's safe to say that these people, Mary, Martha, and again, Lazarus was their brother, that they were supporters of what Jesus was doing. I believe financial supporters, to be honest with you. The ability to host Jesus in this house in Bethany would indicate uh, that they had a rather large estate. Jesus had not only the, the 12 that went with him, there was an outer circle of some 70 disciples. You follow the ministry of Jesus, he, his, his discipleship had rings to it. There were the three closest to him, Peter, James, and John. There were the other disciples as another ring of closeness. Then there were the 70 Jesus sent out. Then there were the multitudes that follow him. So Jesus uh, had quite an entourage that may have been in this home. And, And if they were hosting Jesus, then more than likely they had a rather large home. With the facts that they were... Uh, brothers and sisters and no mention of a mother and a father it's probably safe to conclude that their parents had probably died with no information about their means or livelihood what they done did for a business we can probably estimate that they had an inheritance that was sizable maybe it was large vineyards and 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 lands and basically they hired other people to do that and break benefits of much lands i don't know maybe they had some sort of income that came to them residually but but i believe it's safe to say that they were well off individuals that supported jesus So in this scene, we find them hosting Jesus, and in that there are some powerful lessons for us to get a hold of. Number one, I want you to see the tasks undone. The tasks undone. Of course, you're all familiar with this story in Luke's Gospel of Martha and how that she had so many things which she was doing. The scene reveals Martha in a bustling activity. She's here and she's there. She's doing things. And like his disciples, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus may not have understood the implications of just who Jesus was, but they knew that he was important. Again, the the divineship of the Lord Jesus, I believe, over the ministry of Jesus and how he related to his disciples was something that was progressively brightened over time. And I believe that maybe early on they saw him as an important teacher, a rabbi who had special insights and special connection to God. But over time they begin to realize that this man Jesus 
was something more than a rabbi. Somebody that was very important and and then ultimately would come to realize that He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Martha would have known to have such a man like Jesus in her house was something very significant. And naturally, like like most women are, they want to be hospitable. And and she wanted everything to be perfect when Jesus came. She wanted to make a great impression on Him. Now there's a fine line between necessity and excess. A fine line between providing for a guest and feeding an ego. And I think when we take the example of what Martha is saying here, what's going on, I think that this was something that was diminishing her ego. That was an attack on, on her ability to provide and to look a certain way before the Lord Jesus. Now I'm just, I'm just going by the sense of what we're talking about. I, I'm trying to put myself in those shoes and it seems to be uh, that Mary is overwrought. She's over busy with all of the necessities that were going on. Our Bible said that Martha was distracted. The word itself is a compound word made of two smaller words that mean to draw or to pull and to uh, the word around and away. So you get this, to draw away, to pull away, to pull around, to be led out of the way. That's the indication of this word. To be pulled in many directions. Martha was not just busy, she was over busy. She was not just occupied, she was over occupied. But not Mary. That's the picture that I believe that the Scripture wants us to see. Mary was not so. Listen, she, the, the Scripture tells us that she sat at His feet and she listened to His teaching. What a valuable lesson to us. Like my mother, the example of my mother, she did so much in preparation for Easter. I, Saturday night, I don't even think she went to bed. She just started cooking at midnight. You know, I, I don't. I, there was so much she did: the dresses, the dyeing of the eggs, the the meals, and all the preparation that took place in that day. Listen, it may be the same for us. There may be a lot going on in the coming days, but let us not be like Martha and be pulled away, be distracted by everything else except the main character. She sat at his feet. There may be many tasks that could be done and maybe some of them should be done but all of these are secondary to the presence of Jesus. I don't want to have Easter in this place with a big meal but with a lot of distracted people. I want to have people that will gather together that Easter Sunday morning with one desire to worship the one that saved us, that called us, the one that spoke life into our lives, the one whose teaching has changed our life. Let us be like Mary, not Martha. Here we see the the time Uh, the task undone. But then I want you to see the time unhindered. Mary gave all of her priority to Jesus. The text says that she sat at His feet. The, The idea is a typical posture of a pupil or a disciple. Uh, Later on, when we talk about Saul of Tarsus, and he's mentioned in the book of Acts, it will say that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel a great teacher in Israel about that time. So the idea is to sit at someone's feet, a teacher's feet, means that you are a pupil or a disciple of them. That you're one that is a learner of them. And in doing so, she's giving Jesus a place of maximum attention, a place of preeminence, a place of undivided concentration. The text says that she listened to his teaching. The word te- teaching here is a word in the Greek that is very important because I think oftentimes its meaning is, is overlooked. It is a word that is it's the Greek word logos. It's one of those words we throw around, Greek words we throw around, logos. And the word logos could be translated truth, but it is more than that. It is the central message of a teacher. 
She heard his teaching, his logos. Matter of fact, in John 1.1, that word logos is used and translated word. In the beginning was the word, the logos. The word was with God, the logos was with, with God, and the logos was God. Jesus was himself the message of the Father. The, the word from the Father, the central theme of the Father is Jesus. And here, Jesus is giving that Logos to Mary and she is there like a, like a little bird in the nest with, her, with its mouth wide to receive whatever He has to say to her. Matter of fact, the word listening here means listening with understanding. If you've got kids or smaller kids, then you'll, you'll know this. You can listen but not be listening. You, know, you can hear, but not really be listening. You see, that's not Mary here. She is hearing what Jesus said. She is perceiving it with understanding and applying it to our heart and life. There's more. This is an active participation in the hearing of His teaching. Now, the question to you is this morning, are you like Mary? Actively listening to the words of Jesus. By listening to His words, we study Him and His character, His purposes. By listening to the words of Jesus, our souls are fed and strengthened. By listening to the words of Jesus, our, the objections of others and the cares of life are squelched and forgotten. I asked you, I'm not talking about you listening to my words. I'm talking about you listening to His words. Is there that time in which you take God's word and you sit at Jesus' feet to hear what He has to say to you? Not just passively going through and, and uh, making your checkbox a chapter a day to keep the devil away. But I'm talking about actively listening with your ears on. What are you saying to me, God? What do you have to say to me, Jesus? That was Mary. Here she is, has that time that is unhindered. Jesus said, I'm not going to take that away to her, from her. By listening to his words, Jesus is saying she's not going to be bereft of that. If she makes that choice, and that's what I'm going to come to next, this is a truth unchanging. Look with me at verse 42. Jesus' words to Martha. And we could talk a lot about this passage of Scripture. And that's not my emphasis today to focus on Martha, but on Mary. But look at what he said. The one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that good portion. Meaning she's chosen the necessary part, the important part, the indispensable part, the part that cannot be done away with, the part that cannot be replaced. She's chosen that which will not be taken away from her. Martha questioned, went so far as to even question whether Jesus even cared about her situation. But Jesus did care. He did care enough to rebuke her from being pulled away. I mean, that's basically what we get from Jesus' words. It was a rebuke against unnecessary tasks that were taking the place of necessary tasks. And that is sitting at Jesus' feet. And she, uh, Jesus did care, but not for the task to be performed at the expense of hearing His voice. He expressed to her that the attentiveness to His Word is that one thing that is necessary. That one thing that cannot be dispensed with. Uh, that, that cannot be done without. It is the prioritizing of His Word. Which we all have to do. Listen, we all have things pulling at us. We live in a modern world where even more than ever we are pulled at by, by emails and phones. We are the most accessible generation that has ever been on the place of this planet. The phones in our house, the phones in our pockets, our computers, our everything that is around us. We are so accessible, therefore pulled in Every direction, in a day in such which we live, it is of unchanging truth that we have to make a concerted effort to sit at Jesus' feet. And that is a choice, a plain, a choice that is a choice plain and simple. You have to make a choice. Don't, be, don't live under the tyranny of the urgent. 
You're your own person. You make your own decisions. You can't blame anybody else for not stopping, taking time, and sitting at Jesus' feet. You can't blame it on your responsibilities as an adult, as, 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 a, as responsibilities of work. Listen, Jesus is saying that it is our choice. He's telling Martha, Martha, it's your choice. Mary has made the right choice. She's put the emphasis on the right thing. She's set herself in the right place to hear my word. That's the priority. You've got to make a choice about your priority in your life. Are you choosing the good part? Are you insisting on the good part? Or are you settling for the lesser part? Don't settle for anything less than the good part. A life of worry and distraction. A life of self-pity and hostility Await the life of those that make the wrong choice. You become Martha. You become defensive. You become high-horsed, so to speak. That's a bad, I don't know if that's a word or not. We, we, become, we become superior to others. We, we look down on others because of the choices we've, we've made. We, uh, she became self-pitying in front of Jesus. She became even hostile towards the Son of God. Why don't you, don't you care, Jesus, when we don't choose the right thing? Jesus assures us that the good choice will not be taken away. The Lord promised that she'd never be robbed of it. Jesus will never prefer work over worship. Duty over delight. Labor over love. Listen, I'm telling you as a first hand experiencer someone that's gone through this work duty and labor drawn from the sense of responsibility of place of reputation I believe Martha here is the firstborn therefore there's a certain weight of, of the family's perception laid on her Listen, work, duty, and labor drawn from, uh, from perception, uh, from, from a, 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 a persona that you want to... I, I'm telling you, it is empty. It will kill you. It will, it will end to a dead end in which you're pointing a finger at Jesus saying, don't you care. But, I'm not saying not to labor. I'm not saying not to perform duties. I'm not saying not to work. I am saying that sitting at the feet of Jesus is what fires our work. It's what fuels our labor. It's what drives our duty. Those things will take care of themselves when we sit at Jesus' feet. Duties will be done. Work will be done. Labor will be, will be laid out. When we have our time at the feet of Jesus. Here we see a scene of attentiveness. As we come closer and closer to Easter, let's do some hard inspection. Are we being attentive to what he says? I'm not just talking about being here on Sunday morning and nodding and shaking your head at me as I preach. I am talking about though that daily time in which we take God's word and we sat at his feet. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that every day is the same as the other. I mean, if you're in Haggai, I mean, if you're, you're, you're in Zechariah, you know, it, every day you might not come out of there shouting. You might be coming out scratching your head wondering, what is Jesus teaching me? What is He telling me? Not every time they sat at Jesus' feet did they understand what He's telling them. I get that. But I'm saying that we need to make the priority to sit at His feet and do our dead level best to hear His words. What He had to say. The intentiveness. A scene of intentiveness. Also, I want you to see a scene of adversity. So take your Bibles now and go to John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. I want us to look at John chapter 11. And uh, we'll pick up reading at verse 28. Of course, let me give you the background. John 11 has the story of... Jesus and his resurrection of Lazarus. You remember the story how that, how that uh, 
Lazarus was sick. Early on in this chapter, you read the entire chapter, Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was Jesus' friend. Mary and Martha were his sisters, also friends of the Lord Jesus. And he had become sick and, and he, uh, they, they sent word to Jesus, Come, come, your friend Lazarus is sick, come and heal him. And uh, Jesus tarried where he was, waited even longer. Could have left early, but he didn't. He tarried, he waited. And of course, you know the story, Lazarus died. Then Jesus came. And here in 11, John eleven twenty eight, we have earlier, Martha comes to Jesus. Martha speaks to Jesus. Now Martha comes back and tells Mary that Jesus is here and this is his conversation with Mary. So John eleven twenty eight. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here he, and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in, a place, in the place where Martha had met him. And when, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb and weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, come and see. And Jesus wept. Notice in this passage, I, I, I like, I remember C.S. Lewis saying this statement, and this is such, such, a, such a true statement. You never know how much you really believe anything until, it's, uh, until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. Did you catch that? You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. That is exactly where Mary and Martha were. They believed in Jesus' power to heal and to change lives. And it had come to that point, what do they really believe? This is certainly the case with Mary. Later on in John 11, she's faced with the deathly ill or early on she's faced with the deathly illness of her brother Lazarus the conclusion of which to a large degree defines who Jesus is and how she will respond to him notice first of all I want you to see her sincere guess in verse number 3 of chapter 11 this is early on before his death says so the sister sent to him saying Lord the one whom you love is ill but when Jesus heard this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man, a Son of God may be glorified through it. Notice that the word had been given to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. The term ill here it, 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 it is, is used to define the condition of Lazarus. It's a term that means weak, feeble, diseased. Now this word is used to speak of the Lord Jesus' ministry many times in that these are the types of people that Jesus healed on a regular basis. No doubt Mary and Martha had seen Jesus heal people in exactly the same state that Lazarus was in. They'd seen it many times, several times in the life of Jesus. People brought people that were described with the same word to Jesus and even go so far as Jesus healed them all. As if with one felt swoop, He healed them all. There was, there was nothing that kept Him from healing any individual. And so the healing of the sick was something Mary would have, would have uh, well, seen as well within the ability of her friend Jesus to do. Was, it was no, even, when, even when Lazarus was gravely ill, she must have looked at Mar Mary and Martha, looked at each other and said, man, this is no problem for Jesus. Jesus can come in and he can heal. This is no problem. 
they, they probably reassured each other. There, there's nothing to worry about. Jesus can heal him. He's done it before for countless of strangers. Surely Jesus will come and heal their brother who is, who is their friend, a close companion of Jesus. They send him the message to Jesus that their brother is sick. No problem. Jesus will be here. He'll make it on time. They suppose that Jesus will come and heal their friend, which he loves so much. You know, we do this so often in our times of adversity. We look at the anecdotal testimonies for others and think, well, surely if, if God did that for, for them, then surely He'll do that for me. How many of you have done that before? God heals a friend or God does something in free cures someone of cancer in your family and you, you think, well, my loved one that's got cancer, surely, surely Jesus will do that for me. But, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of Jesus' favorite. You know, me and my wife have a running joke, you know. She always seems to find a parking place at Walmart or these different places. Absolutely. I mean, you just fall out of a car into the door. She always finds that and she'll always say, well, I'm just, I'm just kind of God's favorite that way, you know. That's, that's just the way things are. I'm, I'm his favorite. And don't we all have a sense in which we kind of think, well, you know, I mean, God loves others, but he really loves me, you know. And maybe they thought, well, if, well, if, if God loved, if Jesus loved them enough to heal them, well, surely, surely uh, he'll come and heal, heal our brother. And we may think that of ourselves. We look at other people's testimonies. They, well, surely he'll do the same for us. But at best, such suppositions are simply a guess which is where our faith is proved and our abject surrender to Christ's omnipotence and omniscience is required. Because many times it don't go in your life like it has for somebody else. Many times you don't get the healing that you were assured that Jesus was going. You didn't get the turn of events. You didn't get the job. You didn't get the rage. You, you didn't get the thing that you just, you just know that Jesus wanted to give you. That's when we have to turn and trust His omnipotence and His omniscience as he, to do as He seems fits. Her sincere guess, her severe grief. You know, it must have been a shock beyond all shocks that before Jesus could arrive, Mary and Martha watched as Lazarus took his last breath. They just knew Jesus was going to come. He was somebody that, that, that loved him. Surely Jesus would come. And then they sit there and watched as, as Lazarus breathed his last breath. I imagine their hearts were broken. You know, we could focus on Martha... You know, Martha's oftentimes, she gets a bad rap for that whole scene we did earlier. Saying Jesus didn't care. And Martha's all up in Jesus' face here. She meets him first. Remember, she got word that another, another instance where I think maybe she's the oldest of the siblings. And, and uh, she goes and meets Jesus and, and just says, Hey, if you hadn't been here, my brother had not died. But if you look closely at her words, go back with me to verse number 22. Verse 21, Jesus, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, listen to this, but even now I know whatever you ask from God, He will give you. What faith Martha had. I imagine Martha's done some growing since that first run-in with Jesus in her home. And Martha here is showing faith. God, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother had not died. That's the truth. Nobody dies around Jesus. My brother had not died, but, but I know, she's saying, I know, Jesus, you can do whatever, or God will do whatever you asked of the Father. This is probably because her heart was absolutely shattered by the passing of her brother, but yet at the same time, at the same time, she knew that Jesus had the ability to do whatever He wanted. But Mary stayed at home. Mary's back in the house. This is our focus is Mary. Mary more than likely stayed home. Number one, she wasn't told about Jesus. And number two, her heart was absolutely shattered by this. You know, there usually seems to be one of the siblings that's got to keep it all together. Usually it's the oldest sibling. They're the ones that's got to be... They're the ones that try to be mom and dad anyway. 
And so, so they, they tend to be mom and dad long after mom and dad are gone. They're, they're the ones that's got to keep it together. They're, they're the ones that's got to keep control of everything and bottle up the emotions and, and see to all the things that need to be done. That, that's Martha here. But Mary's a basket case. Mary's so broken by what has taken place. And she runs to Jesus and says the very same words to him that Martha did, except the part about you can do, God will do anything you ask him. She's completely at a loss at the loss of her brother and seems to blame Jesus just as much, if not more, at Martha. She is taking her hopeless situation to Jesus as opposed to running away with it from Jesus. Listen to me. How many people do you know that have had their Lazarus die? Their mama, daddy taken? Something happened to them? And they, instead of running to Jesus, they run away from Jesus? What a lesson. We're to take our hopelessness, our brokenness, the things that don't go as planned to our lives and don't let them, don't let them cause us to be bitter, but take them to Jesus. There's so many people. You talk to them all the time. People that are bitter at God because of this or that. Instead of taking their heartbreak to Jesus, they run away from Him with Jesus. Or run away from Jesus with their heartbreak. Beloved, let your heartbreak Let your adversity drive you to Him and not away from Him. Her sincere guess, her severe grief, finally her surpassing gladness. Look at verse 44. In chapter 11, verse number 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen cloths, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said unto them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus felt their sorrow. He even, it even has that passage that it says that Jesus wept. He empathized. He, even though he's fixing to raise him from the dead, he felt their pain. He's touched with the feeling of their infirmity. And yet in the midst of their calamity, child of God, listen, never forget that Jesus is not some austere, far, divine but He always draws near when we are broken and despairing. No, Jesus it did not answer their first request. Jesus said no. They're pleading. Jesus, please come and heal. Please do something to our brother. He's dying. Don't you love Him? I know you care about Lazarus. And Jesus says no. But what He had in store far exceeded their wildest dreams. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus did what they could not imagine Him doing. Listen, years ago, there was a group called the Wisnets. I think they still sing. We used to have them at my home church every Mother's Day. And I love their songs, good, good music, good gospel music. But they've got a song that addresses this, this thing. Listen to what it says. You never pray a prayer. I'm not going to sing it. Everybody said amen. I'm not going to sing it. You never pray a prayer your father will not answer. He can't ignore his child's earnest request. While you're waiting and believing for what you thought was best, trust God if he says no, you're still blessed. There must be a greater yes. (laughs) Oh, listen, this does come near our time our our theme of prayer but listen sometimes God does say no sometimes God says I'm staying right here until that which you want is died which is it's gone as far as it can possibly go it would take a miracle to redeem it or change it that's when he shows up four days late is always on time with him here sometimes God has a greater yes Jesus not only showed Himself as a healer that He was, He showed Himself to be God in the midst of Him telling them no. A scene of attentiveness, a scene of adversity, also a scene of adoration. John chapter number 12, very close to where we were. The next chapter, John 12, 1-8. This brings us to the scene in which we read earlier. 
Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. And Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment and made for a pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples whom was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he, he used, to, used to help himself to what was in, put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. The final scene where we focus on Mary of Bethany is recorded in the, in the three Gospels. Three locations, Matthew, Mark, and John, all contain this same story. Now although there were similar scenes with Jesus' hair, feet being anointed by another woman's hand, anointed by another woman and his feet being washed with the hairs of her head it is distinct and different I'm not going to go down that path right now we can look at it some other time there's a distinct difference between this happening and other occasions the occasion we look at here comes from within moments of Jesus arrest, trial and execution and in this touching scene we're shown a love for Jesus that we should wholeheartedly embrace number one I want you to see her concentration Verse 1 or 2, it, it talks about how that Jesus was in Bethany. Parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark identify the location of this gathering is in the house of Simon the leper. Now we can safely conclude that Simon was someone that Jesus had raised from the dead. I mean not raised from the dead, but someone that Jesus had cleansed because Jesus would not be around a leper that was, had the disease of leprosy because that was against the Old Testament law. Jesus would not violate the law. And so Jesus is here with Simon the leper and Lazarus, Mary and Martha, Martha in this place in Bethany. And so I believe it would have inferred that, uh, that Lazarus was also there as well. So in such a gathering, culture would suggest that women were excluded. That's just the way it was. Culturally, that's, that's the place. And that the way things were taken up, the way things would take place. But I can imagine as, as, as they're at meet together, lay, reclining and sitting on the ground with a spread before them, I imagine there was Simon the leper with a big smile on his face. And, and I, I, I imagine seeing Lazarus, maybe with his head back, laughing and and fellowshipping with Jesus at that table. And, and there's Jesus in the center of everything. And I can imagine Mary looking around the corner and looking at Simon and leper as he reaches across the table to grab some grapes off the table. And she sees that hand, those arms that were once wound with, with pus-filled windings. Now she sees skin white as snow, just, uh, just, just like a baby's, a baby's skin on his arm. And I can imagine her looking at Lazarus and seeing him breathing. And she remembered his face was cold and pale and dead. And now he's sitting here. He's the life of this gathering, the life of this party. There's her brother Lazarus. And then she's looking at Jesus, the one that made it all possible. And I imagine as she looks at him, her heart begins to overflow with thanksgiving and love for him. She couldn't take her eyes off of Jesus. It was then at that moment that all of custom and all of conformity just melted away. Martha ran to her home and fetched that alabaster box of worth a full year's wage. And, and with the worth of, of it melted away, she took it. All of that worth melted away in the thought of honoring the Jesus and expressing her love for the one that had done so much for her. And so right then and there, in front of God and everybody, she did the unthinkable. She took that expensive fragrance and broke it and poured it all over the feet of Jesus. And with her tears began to weep and cry and wash His feet. And, and she wiped them with the hairs of her head. It is a 
It is a scene of abject worship and honor unto Jesus. Why did she do this? Because her full concentration and focus was on Him. I tell you the truth, when we make Him our concentration, where every fear of man, every grip of worth, every pretense of pride will melt away in adoration of Him. Her concentration. Then we see her affirmation during this moment of adoration. Uh, adoration of this person, Jesus. There were those that objected. Did you catch that about about uh, Judas here, Judas in our text in John 12, John the author points out Judas that, uh, that he was the one that objected. Why didn't they sell, why didn't they sell this and give this money to the poor? Why, this, this would be worth 300 denarii. The parallel accounts not only tell us that Judas may have been the one saying it, but there were others that agreed with it and never said anything. Now that means that uh, Simon the Zealot, maybe... Matthew, the son of Altheus, and maybe some of these other ones, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, these, these, these other disciples may have been thinking the same thing. Why such a valuable gift? Just broken and seemingly wasted. Why, why this, this could have helped so many people. Why, why did she do such a thing? Why would she even think about doing such a thing? But this woman's act of worship uh, well, that was condemned in others' eyes was given to Jesus even though they said it was too expensive a sacrifice to give to Him. You know, others may tell you the same thing. Your act of worship is too expensive to pour on Jesus. Let the words of Jesus assure you that your extravagant love for Him it's never wasteful. Jesus saw her heart and gave His blessing by saying in the Matthew account, why do you trouble this woman? She has done a beautiful thing on me. Listen, if you can honestly say that your sacrifice, uh, that your sacrifice is legitimately for Him, let the world say what they will. Let them condemn and deride. Let them click their tongues and say, my what a waste. You give it to Jesus because He blesses that given to Him. And notice the motivation. Notice the motivation we find in verse number 3. It says, Mary therefore took the expensive uh, ointment and made a pure nard and anointed the feet and wiped the feet with the hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Jesus goes on to say at the end of the passage that she had done this for the day of His burial. As she watched Jesus among this gathering, her heart began to overflow with love and thanksgiving. And all that He had spoken to her heart and the word that had been given, to, uh, been given her flooded her mind. All He had done for her consumed her. Her brother was dead four days, a corpse in the grave. Jesus arrives on the scene and delivers Him back to her alive. Oh, He is much more than a teacher He's much more than a prophet. This is a recognition that Jesus is God. He's Messiah. He's worthy of all. And now, from the plain lips, the plain lips of Jesus, he said, I'm about to be killed. He said, this is for my burial. This is for my death. I wonder if Mary was the only one getting what Jesus was saying. Jesus was telling her, I'm about to die. He'd been telling everybody. Everybody had been hearing, but Mary had been listening. She'd been taking it into mind. She'd been hearing, and she knew that her time with Him was quickly running out. And whatever she wanted to do for Him, whatever ways she wanted to thank Him, whatever displays of gratitude she wanted to show Him, she'd better do it then. She'd better do it now. I tell you what, may I force the same urgency upon you today? It is far better to tell you, uh, uh, it is far better to tell him you love him today than to tell him tomorrow. 
It's better to adore Him today than some other day in the future. It's better that I give Him all of myself today than in some estimation and point of time in my future. Let your motivation be hers. Seize the moment. Seize the opportunity until Jesus shall love Him. Seize the moment and adore Him publicly for who He was, who He was, and what He had done for you. Oh, child of God, put on, don't put it off until tomorrow. Give it all to Him today. You know, Satan has a way of snatching it away. Snatching away that ointment that could be given now, that could be given to Him today, that could be used to praise Him today, and could be given to Him today. And Satan has a way of snatching that if you wait until tomorrow. He don't want you to give Jesus anything. Don't put off adoring Him today. Your feelings and adoration and love may subside. Do it today. Do it now. While you still got life. While you still got days ahead, give Him your life today. Give it all to Him. And to close, Jesus said clearly that she was preparing His body for burial. She may not have known exactly what he meant by that, but, but her anointing of love would follow him through the hours ahead. You follow John's gospel. Jesus talks to his disciple. He makes his trips back and forth into Jerusalem leading up to that Passover day. It would soon come to be the night in which Jesus arrested. When Jesus is in that, in that uh, garden of Gethsemane and those, those temple guards came and and, and, and bound him. I imagine that as they, they got near him, they could smell that spikenard that Mary had put on him. As, as, they, as they buffeted his face in that mock trial among the Sanhedrin, every, with every slap of his face, the aroma filled the room of what Mary had done. When they went to Pilate's hall and they beat and they buffeted Jesus. The fragrance of what she had done for him followed him there. Down the Villa Della Rosa. All the way to Golgotha's brow. In the breeze of Golgotha. As Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here's a fragrance. There is a hint in the air. Of what Mary had given to him. It followed him all the way to the cross. Here's my final thought. Let Mary's example of love for Jesus bring us to the same conclusion. Jesus is worthy of all of our attention. Jesus is worthy in all of our adversity. Jesus is worthy of all of our adoration. Give it to Him today. As we approach Easter, let our attention be on Him. As we approach Easter, let us remember He is sovereign over our adversity and all of our problems and all of our, all of our weaknesses and all of our, our seeming brokenness that we have, our unanswered prayers. He's sovereign over all. Let us give Him the adoration that is due His name. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. In this story, Jesus is going to the cross. Let us not get distracted from the fact that Jesus is going to the cross to pay Mary's sin debt, to pay Martha's sin debt, to pay Lazarus' sin debt, to pay Judas' sin debt. He is going to the cross to pay sin's debt. Listen, He, came, he went to the cross to pay your debt. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you put your faith and trust in Him? It is only by belief and, and taking our lives and basically breaking them on Jesus like Mary did. It is only by coming in repentance and faith that we can have saving grace. That we can know God's salvation. You come. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the example of Mary and how, how our devotion needs to side, lay beside her devotion. And it needs to mimic and follow her devotion. How we need to relinquish all of our attention to you. How we need to come to you in all of our adversity and problems and lay them at your feet. How that our adoration, you are worthy of it, Father. God, I pray that you would take these lessons and hone them into our hearts. Glorify yourself. Speak to hearts. Save sinners. God, make us more like the Lord Jesus. Draw us closer in devotion to him. 
Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. In our hymn book, our invitation hymn will be I Surrender All, page number 354. If you're here today and never, never come to faith in Jesus Christ, maybe today's the day you need to come and pour it all out to Him. Give it all to Him today. Maybe you're here today and you haven't been spending that time. Be honest with you. you you've, been, you've been hearing His Word, but you haven't been listening to His Word. Maybe your adversity, your problem, you need to bring it to the Lord. You need to lay your hopeless case before Him and let Him handle it. Maybe you need to break your life on Him and give Him your all. You come as we begin to sing. I surrender all 354. Just a few verses and then we'll lay it.